something that you, you know, in in many, many cases, aside from the people who possibly like are walking up to you and know your band and whatever and know who you are when you're not wearing a big beard (laughs) and say, hey, I love your band and I love your music and whatever, like these people who, you know, that is one of the the many things because obviously you are fully aware and me as a gigantic music lover am very aware like music changes lives like music is one of those things that inspires people in ways that is many times completely difficult to explain for a lot of people you know and is not only the soundtrack of their life but is what can help them through some of the worst times of their life and that is something that's pretty awesome that is something that you work at and do and even if in 20 years you're working at a sign store like the the kind of timeless ability that you that you had to do that during these other years of your life and how that will go on forever you know is I don't know the exact adjective I want to use for that, but it's pretty awesome. It's crazy. It's crazy. It is. Like, seriously, it, it freaks me out so hard. Like, it, <laughs> it's wonderful. Sushwa Vatamon, which is welcome in Telugu. Telugu is a Dravidian language spoken in southern India. I'm sure you all knew that, right? Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast, whether you are from India or from here in the United States or anywhere else in the world. And for those of you that are new to the podcast, a very special welcome to all of you, of course. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the host and the founder of the podcast, and I'm kind of an odd bloke. I'll just tell you that straight off. I decided very early on to open every episode with a welcome in a different foreign language. And today that just happened to be Telugu. What do you know? For quite a few months, I've been involved with a new network that is now ready to be released. It's called Osiris Network. And Osiris is a big community of music and culture podcasts. Some of the other podcasts you may know of are Under the Scales, Helping Friendly Podcasts, Broke Down Podcasts, Strangers Stopping Strangers, Beyond the Pond. So there's a lot of other podcasts. It's really fantastic. There's a lot of uh, big things happening as well that are still going on, as well as our partnership with Relics Magazine now. So make sure you check out OsirisPod.com as well as Relics.com for music news. Today, this episode is my second half of my conversation with Tom Keeley, the guitarist in the band Thursday. And in our first episode, we kind of were all over this conversation. I'm just going to tell you, the edit of it is a little bit different because we just kind of sat down and started talking and went on for three hours plus. And of course, I edited it down, but uh, we just kind of rolled and I kind of worked the episodes around that natural flow of the conversation and tried to make it piece together as perfectly as possible. But the openings and closings might not be picture perfect because of that. So Forgive me for that, but it was just the best way to keep the conversation, like I said, in its natural state. So in this episode, Tom and I are going to talk a lot more about music and about how he got into music and what life on the road was like for him 
And that's such a cliche to say it that way, but what are you going to do? With his early days with the band Thursday and what that all looked like for him and the band and even what getting back together, I won't say getting the band back together because that would have been another cliche, but when they reunited and kind of put things back together to get back on the road and start making music again, what that was like for him and for them and for him as a, a new dad as well. So I hope you all enjoy this episode with Tom and here we go. Whatever your circumstances growing up, trying to figure out what you want to be, what you want to do, more importantly than any of the structural components, like what school you go to, like what job track you're on, is find, if you're lucky and you're not looking for it, you'll just stumble across it. But if you're smart enough or tuned in, make sure you're looking for it. Find the things that you feel really tickled by, like really passionate about, and make sure you pay attention at a young age to the things that you find that you feel passionately about, even slightly passionately about. Because if you're paying attention to what, you, what you've discovered as a love in your life, you have an opportunity while you're young and you're not, you're not wrangled by circumstance to actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. You can actually like, take a risk, go out, cultivate whatever the thing is, take a risk on it, and then you can either succeed or fail. And, and then if it's a failure, reverse engineer your life so that you can like pay your bills and get by and be a functioning member of society. And you'll at the very least know that you had taken a risk. You've at least identified something that you love with your whole heart versus I was on track to be a graphic designer. Um, I don't give a shit about selling stuff. Like I, not to mention the the state of the job market in 2001, it was oversaturated. Mm-hmm. I would have very easily... Had I not started doing music with the guys I met in college, I very easily could have been a failed graphic designer because I didn't I didn't care about it, and it was an impossible job market. Instead, I you know dropped out of school to go on tour for six months, and it turned into a fifteen year career, and it, uh, based on something that I love. Mm-hmm. You know, what was music for you before that, leading up to college? I've kind of had this conversation with a lot of people and that are not musicians too, but, and I don't, I don't want to get too generic with you or whatever, but was music a a huge part of your life through childhood and, and youth? And when did you really start kind of playing? Was it just then in college? It was, it was sneaky. You mentioned Billy Joel, you know, when I, (laughs) my parents used to meet between the midpoint between Maryland and New Jersey was Wilmington, Delaware. Mm. And they would trade us kids at the McDonald's in Wilmington, Delaware. And (laughs) we'd drive the hour and 45 minutes back to New Jersey with my dad. And, you know, he he was a huge Hall & Oates fan. And it was lost on me at the time. But, you know, I recall many, many nighttime drives back to his house where he's just like blasting Maneater by Hall & Oates. Awesome. And now I'm like, oh man, that's my mom. My mom's a man eater, as far as my dad is concerned. That was his experience. And of course, you know, I'm in the back seat up past my bedtime listening to these lyrics. And at, at that point, you know, I'm taking it literally. Yeah. So like I'm hearing like, oh boy, she'll chew you up. Watch out. Like she's she's a man eater. Like I'm picturing like this evil giant mom. monster woman. 
Yeah, who would yeah. literally eat you. <laughs> but <laughs> and, and you know, my mom and sister played piano growing up. I never really played anything, but I listened. And I, I don't know, high school is is the typical experience. <laughs> you know, music kind of ushered me through like the the basic experiences, like serious relationship. You break up. You're sad. I was listening to a lot of like Tori Amos. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, let's dig into that, Tom. Yeah. Little <laughs> Earthquakes era. Oh yeah. And but you know, I was I knew I liked sad music and mm-hmm. it was moving and I found myself listening to it, um, not really making it. And then found myself music, I think the first time it really meant anything outside of my bedroom, it was like a social structure. You know, we would go to we grew up in high school, I started listening to a lot of punk music, punk and hardcore music. And there were shows that were put on by friends where there would be 12 bands playing in a VFW hall mm-hmm. and you could, you know, show up and like people your age were playing music. And it was this whole like social structure that my best friends and I were all casually a part of. Um, but we, we collected seven inches and, you know, whatever unknown, whatever slew of unknown or underground bands. And then at one point, I think I found an acoustic guitar in my friend's bedroom and started playing it. And two years later, you know, my friend, my first friend in high school had started playing drums and we were writing really bad songs together. Mm. And the goal was, well, there really wasn't any goal other than to like, see if we could make things that sounded like songs, which Mm -hmm. we we couldn't. (laughs) But the guy who's who's the singer of our band, uh, he was in college, one of like three or four people in the town who were putting on basement shows and in new brunswick new jersey there's a long history of pretty big deal bands and basement culture in that town Mm -hmm. like new jersey bouncing souls and lifetime to name two and when we got there those bands had moved on and had careers and moved out they aged out of college life and we were basically or he was basically playing torch torchbearer in, in our little community where he would put on shows where all these, all the local bands would play. Mm-hmm. And I guess our only goal, we weren't completely listless was to open one of those shows. Mm-hmm. And that's how we ended up. I one summer figured out how to write a song front to back. And it turns out there's that famous uh, lyric, like three chords or shit. Now I'm blowing it. <laughs> Basically you can, <laughs> it really impacted me to this day. No, it's you know, three chords, count them three. That's all you need. And I think this first song that we wrote front to back actually had two chords. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. And being in art school, going for you know visual art, and then finding myself in my fourth year in a van in Oregon, driving through the mountains as the sun is rising, I just realized like, oh crap. This is a this is way more effective means of communication of ideas than than visual art. You know, the rawness of loud, loud guitar music or just aggressive music in general. Like mm. it's it's just so visceral and immediate and it's and it's a moment versus looking at a your favorite piece of art and thinking about the context in which it was created, the commentary that it's, you know, what is it speaking to? What's right. it deconstructing? Where were they thinking? And yeah. Yeah. What's, you know, what's your point of view? And I think with music, it's, you can kind of give it up to the universe of people who are experiencing it, which you can in visual art as well, but in a more, it just felt more freeing. Like visual art felt a little more shackling, Yeah, you know? 
it's much more structured and like almost feels like you should be holding a, a snifter or something while you're looking. <laughs> Is that the right word for that? For a, a brandy snifter? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're curating uh, an, an experience, which you can't, which we you definitely music, try and, yeah. yeah, you try, you try in music, you try and do it, try and execute something. Right. But I think baked in to that, that whole cake, especially early on where no one's paying attention. <laughs> right, right. There's five people showing up. Like it's kind of, you can only do so much before you have to give it up to, I don't know if you believe in fate or the universe, but you kind of have to give it up to everything else in your life. Like that was, you know, I, I showed up to this house. We played for 30 minutes and now we're driving 24 hours you know, to a different place. We'll never go back to that house. Mm-hmm. It's done in that, in those 30 minutes, it existed. The artwork existed in that state and that state only. We didn't have a recording at the time. So it was like a, it was almost like uh like the, um, what was the, the happening movement mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> where people just show up and like do this crazy performance art and then it's done. And those, however many people saw it, they had that experience and they remember it for whatever they remember it to be. And that's what all of us have to go on from that. Yeah. And when you, and when you, when you commit to having that be the best it ever gets, like you commit to like, you don't commit to having like success or like ha- even having like a job in a band, like <laughs> it had nothing to do with it. It's like, you just kind of commit to being there doing the thing and then, you know, letting go of it, moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, any success or, or a kind of foothold is fleeting at best is not, it's never a guarantee and you're really lucky if it happens. So, you know, versus having that be the, the mindset and the, the track that, that I was on versus, okay, I learned how to use Photoshop and Illustrator really well. I have to go compete against thousands of other people in my exact same position to figure out how to dress up a product and sell it. Like, screw that. Like, that's for the birds. <laughs> and, and the comparison is like, if you're creating a song that has all of these thousands of different parts to it, I mean, not thousands, literally, but you have the lyrics, you have the melodies, you have all of the different things that you are creating within that, as opposed to like, here is your picture, like your visual, whatever that may be, whether it's, you know, a picture or an ad or whatever, you're looking at that. And that is a two dimensional, though, maybe three dimensional thing. Whereas this song that you have created is completely enveloping to some extent all of somebody's senses. Right. Well, you know, and I think, I think great art, even great advertising can transcend the, you know, the rigors of the the traditional commercial art, like great, great commercial art can take you to a place that you, it can envelop you. It can be a space that you inhabit. Mm -hmm, But I found that, the level to which you had the level of skill and innate vision that you had to have both have and then cultivate to the, to a level at which that actually happened for me it was like man i'm not picasso like mm-hmm. you know i'm i went to art school to figure out how to how to 
draw and paint better. And I, granted, I, I think I was on the wrong track. I should have been doing illustration versus <laughs> graphic design. It's a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, you're selling, you're selling your art, not, you don't have to sell someone else's stuff. Maybe perfectly music was less scrutinized at that point by, by others. Mm-hmm. It was something that you could make for yourself or with any, with whatever level of social consciousness, with any level of whatever level of messaging you want to imbue. And that's something that somebody's going to feel. Yeah. Or everybody's going to feel. Yeah. Well, and and even more more selfishly, like you know, with with punk music, like you don't have to be like a guitar virtuoso or like the best singer. You know, we weren't the best at anything that that we were trying to make as individuals. And so you could get, ironically, you could get further faster. You know, you didn't. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need. <laughs> you don't go to punk rock college for four years to cultivate your guitar playing, so you could be in a in a in a good band that impacts people. Right. I think that's one of the one of the attractions of punk though, right? I mean, kind of is that is that raw it it is a very emotional experience that is in a different kind of sense than I I, I don't know, than pop music or whatever, you know, it's a completely <laughs> different experience for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think that they probably cross-pollinate more than my younger self would have admitted. Right, or more than they used to. Yeah, you know, I do like a really good pop song. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, Since You've Been Gone, Kelly Clarkson. Who doesn't? Fantastic song, so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's catchy. But yeah, uh, it gets it gets real convoluted real fast. Yes, when I try I try to qualify it, but it just it was just so much more immediately satisfying. And despite all of the signs pointing to that, like you should be terrified with the state of things mm-hmm. right now. You know, like we went on tour for six months, lived in in parking lots, like had malnourishment, like got clinically diagnosed with malnourishment. Um, oh, jeez sustaining myself on mustard sandwiches and if i'm lucky you know a bag of the twisty nascar fritos they had back then wow you know for all intents and purposes from like most people's point of view like it's a bad choice mm-hmm. but it it and it could have turned out to be a bad choice but if not for being so lucky to have gleaned the knowledge that i at least found something that i really actually cared about that really as, mm-hmm. as a friend's mother put it, <laughs> like, find something that tickles you. I'm like, yeah, I was really, I was really tickled by all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. which is, you know, and if it was a failure and it might, you know, I still will probably have to reconcile when it's all done. Like, okay, now what am I going to do? Yeah. I'm at least entering into that process with, you know, I'm, I know that I'm in tune enough. I can trust myself that I can find, find something else. Like it's not music or nothing. It's I've found a capacity to care deeply about something. Right. That is unorthodox. That is not an answer I would have seen. Therefore, it stands to reason in the future. I can do it again. It could be something, it could be sign making, who knows? Um and in the meantime, now that I have a son, I'm like, well, if if literally nothing else, I can say to him if he comes to me. And says, I want to take a risk on this thing that I care about. What should I do? 
Mm -hmm. I can say without anxiety, you should go take a risk on that thing that you care about. Right. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, well, you went for it and you can figure something else out. But if you don't go for it, then you'll regret it forever. (laughs) Even if it's a really bad, you know, even if it's something that at the time I think like, well, you have no talent for this, like whatever it is Mm -hmm. on a binary level, I can, I can say, yeah, man, if you love it, give it a shot. And I mean, you can tell me I could be completely off base, but possibly a good side of that for you, quote unquote, good is the break that your band did take Mm -hmm. and the fact that that wasn't the end. Yeah. I mean, does that does that feed into that a little bit? The less less anxiety of what that end point may be? Mm, No, no, (laughs) (laughs) Um, no. Yeah, we we split up and went into other fields and I found personally it was it was the most terrifying mm. bunch of years that I had ever experienced for a number of reasons mostly because I was out of my depth mm-hmm. you know I, I had found myself doing extras casting mm. um, really? which is yeah the last the last extras casting gig I did was a uh, season not the current season but the last season of house of cards oh really Wow. And I, I had already quit extras casting and said, I'm never doing this job again. It's terrifying. I did a Ender's game as well in New Orleans mm-hmm. um, and completely out of my depth. Like my, my girlfriend was my boss. I had fallen out of band life into just being an extra on TV shows mm-hmm. um, and literally qualified to do nothing other than stand around pretending to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as life twists and turns, I then found myself being a casting assistant. My girlfriend ended up being a casting director. And then we got this gig after a number of years doing this feature film. And I'm like talking to local politicians, learning like Louisiana child labor laws, working at the NASA facility, just like over my head, Mm -hmm. lost 40 pounds, was drinking every night. Mm -hmm. And it was terrifying. And it really just came to a point where I found myself working on house of cards for the second half of that season and thought, started thinking like, okay, I know I don't care about this. I know I actually, every fiber of my being hates doing this. I'm terrified. This is unsustainable. We're all still friends. All the guys Mm -hmm. in the band, like any discordance was water under the bridge at that point. We're kind of just, we kind of just chose to stop. Um, Well, that's not true. We had, we had to stop. But it was ultimately a choice we made. And in my, my thinking at this point where I'm desperate, I'm like, what if we just chose to like try and do it again? Like, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it means, but I'm going to start the conversation. And started the conversation with all the guys. Turns out we all actually did still love each other. And very rapidly uh, after that, they all came down to Maryland from New Jersey for my birthday. And just to see if we could hang out. And some photo that we, some selfie we took in my kitchen, like ended up on some punk rock website, some, some message board, like Thursday reunion, question mark. Like uh-huh. what's, what's this about? What is like, happening? Yeah. My first thought was like, that's an awful picture. I got so fat. <laughs> like, this is not the picture I want to like accompany like reunion rumors. Right, right, right. Like, we look so old. And then our booking agent, we've had since the very beginning started getting these like festival offers Hmm. 
or like just basically these numbers that we couldn't we couldn't ignore at least we didn't have to say yes but we couldn't ignore yeah and and then it turned out that like the 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 festival bills were really cool like we're playing with a bunch of cool bands mm-hmm. if we say yes and we just started dipping our toes back in the water and you know it it basically now it's like we we don't have to say yes to everything which we used to just say yes to everything we right. used to tour, tour like 8 months out of the year and never had relationships that lasted and now like some of us are married have kids yeah and we can fly in for like a one off weekend and like my son and wife come with me and then we go home and you know we we do 4 months of work out of the year and that income while amounting to, you know, maybe a teacher's salary over the course of 12 months, combined with the the mathematics of being Mr. Mom and not having to get outside childcare, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Like, yes, I know people who pay like 40 grand a year, they pay 40 grand a year to have someone else look after their kid while they do what it is they have to do. Which probably makes them forty to forty-five grand a year. Exactly. It's yeah. it's a zero. Is that is is that the definition of a zero sum game? I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Basically, it, it all it all evens out, and yeah. you're not making any any ground. So yeah, you know, I guess at some point I could say to my son, whatever endeavor that you choose to be passionate about and chase. Even when it's over, you can still get the band back together. <laughs> yeah. But that I don't know that that's necessarily true. Right. Like, it's not always going to be true. Yeah, that's not a universal truth. Yeah. Um, I'm still trying to figure out if it's a truth for us outside of <laughs> the things I find acceptable. Yeah. I don't think we look like cartoons doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's not, I don't think we're the, the SNL sketch with Dave The Grohl joke and, of the group. Yeah. 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 No, we still, we still have. We still have something something to say and sounds to make, and the climate is certainly uh, primed for for loud music. Yes, it absolutely is. I'm still waiting for like really cool bands to come out. I, I <laughs> yeah. in response to the current climate, I, I have yet to really. It's all it's all the bands that were already cool that are making cool music in response to. Honestly, like the only thing that I've kind of seen was um, that, and I don't know all of music but was um who are did they call themselves uh the prophets of rage or the oh yeah 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 um chuck d and yeah rage against chuck the machine d. yeah exactly like that's the kind of one kind of big cool thing that that i've seen that really seemed to spawn from all of this Right. That was that was definitely like um that was definitely like a big touchdown moment of a touchdown iteration of that concept, like big statement guys that need to make it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, yeah, it was, that, that was very point to point. Like here's the system. Here are the dudes who like fought the system. Yeah, exactly. And now they're fighting it again. And you know, whether you like it or not, like it's important for that to happen on some level. It can't all just be party music. (laughs) Or maybe it can. Right. Yeah. And it can all be just that's it's the it's kind of the perfect blend of a music's iteration of a protest. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it gets it gets tricky because musicians definitely and I'll include myself, although I try to deny it or or kick it out of my brain, like narcissism rules the day in a lot of ways. And, you know, people can 
dudes in bands can become pretty self-important, mm-hmm. which kind of deflates my my experience with bands that are with you know bands that could potentially be making like important sounds or like delivering messages that make you think and engage your your daily life. The guys in the band can really ruin it. <laughs> yes, yes. If they're not careful. Um, right. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I still find like the most exciting music to me is like the really weird, obscure, loud, scary stuff. The stuff that mm-hmm. sounds scary while it probably reaches a, a, a way smaller audience. It's still the most exciting to me. So I, I, I've been meaning to ask, what was that? What was the music for you when you were in high school and the punk that you were listening to back then as a as a kid was it the standards and or what was the stuff that maybe was a little bit more obscure or east coast laden right it was i i was i was pretty dumb with it i i really stumbled through a lot of experiencing music on a formative level and then suddenly found myself with a band. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like, you know, a friend gave me a gorilla biscuits tape and, you know, growing up in New Jersey, we were sort of in the epicenter, this weird, like passing through place between the centralized place between New York, Boston, Philadelphia, and DC. And so you would have five local straight edge hardcore bands, um, playing a VFW hall Mm-hmm. And then, like Fugazi would come through from DC, or oh, yeah. you could go into New York and see any of like the New York hardcore greats. You know, we when we recorded our first demo, like I met Roger Murray from Agnostic Front, who mm-hmm. I had listened to and was terrified of, and <laughs> but had access to this guy as a person, right? And so, yeah, it was like a bunch of like my friends' bands and like the standard issue regional hardcore bands. Like I wasn't straight edge, but all of my best friends were. So it was mostly mm-hmm. straight edge youth crew, positive youth crew, mm-hmm. you know, vital, but pretty dumb, uh, pr- pretty dumb music with a lot of principles. Right. Um, it wasn't so much like the black flag side and, no, it wasn't the debauchery, like, fuck shit up. It, it was like, you know, we don't, we don't need your drugs. Like we get high on life, like positive uh-huh. positivity, like loud music, everyone, every, like if there was no other message, it was about like, we're in this together. Right. And, the hard like, mix kind of, right. I mean, I don't know. Like I, I, I remember people that I knew that were into that and I was always kind of like, it just seems so odd. Like the mixture of really loud positivity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it works like the music is still good, but it just seemed weird. The lyrical mix into it to me. For sure. For sure. I mean, it's, and it's all, it's all response to whatever came before. And I think punk was pretty, it was pretty, legitimately dark for a while and then yeah. got, got kind of silly people yeah. kind of see see through what was happening and but you know with, with that kind of music too like it's uh there's a ceiling on it and it's only so interesting right you know it was loud enough it was loud enough and inclusive enough for an insecure young person to feel excited by it mm-hmm. and to feel to feel included yes and to not feel like they had to uh do 
horrible, awful things in order to kind of be in that crowd. Yeah, you didn't have you didn't have to do you didn't have to be a bad person or like do do drugs, and you didn't have to also you know from like a seventeen eighteen year old mindset, you didn't have to be like a sheep just following the flock by listening mm. to like you know whatever it was. Even though I was listening to Sarah McLaughlin at the time <laughs> and Tori oh, yeah. Amos, yeah, I don't know. And then it just kept getting weirder. And anything that I ever wanted to sound like as a guitar player or songwriter, I was never good enough to actually sound like it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the case for all the other guys in the band. No one was really good at what they did, but we did it together enough days out of the week to where we kind of got our own little weird foothold, which might have amounted to nothing had we just decided, oh, this isn't worth it. This will never go anywhere. Right. Um, we don't need to record anything, but we just decided like, well, this is good enough for the basement. Let's make a mixtape of, let's record four songs. Mm-hmm. And miraculously, that was kind of how we approached everything. And somehow the universe saw it fit to reward us with way more success than we ever thought we deserved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right place, right time, people reacting and, uh, never to this day at 38 still never felt, I still never feel like, Oh, well, I obviously deserve all that. (laughs) Look what I did. I deserve that. (laughs) Right. Which is the cool thing about music though. I I mean, uh, of obviously a lot of different art forms as well, but with music is that you just, and I think this is an encouragement to, a lot of musicians who it, this doesn't mean like I can't instantly play guitar and people are going to like it, but that there are, it's almost like the beauty is in the eye of the beholder thing, but it's the ear instead. And, you know, you, you never really know what is going to get into people's uh, sweet spots. Yeah. And how many people's sweet spots you're going to get into. And that sounds wrong. So let's just clarify that <laughs> sweet spot, sweet spot in this case means things people like to hear. Oh okay? uh, man, just- the, the, the pre-show, the potential pre-show like pep talk born out of that that catchphrase <laughs> we've been missing we've been missing that for 15 years <laughs> I, i'm here to deliver your guys pre-show pep talk yeah well just each other like man just think about all the sweet spots out there tonight <laughs> like we're gonna hit every all one of them. them yeah i used to joke with the guys like especially as like things had started like winding down we were still touring but it was sort of a game of diminished returns just enough to keep going, but you were starting to see like, oh yeah, this is not as uh, exciting. Like, mm-hmm. we're, you know, it's not as big as it was or whatever. I used to joke like, all right, guys, a lot of talent, a lot of talent scouts out there. Tonight's the night. Like, we're really gonna, <laughs> really gonna wow the scouts. <laughs> um, but yeah, this whole time we should have been aiming for people's sweet spots. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, th- I think it's, you know, I'll, I'll, with the risk of, digressing it is really just about like finding a sweet spot of your own even if it sucks mm-hmm. to, to the outside listener just like find the thing that you're passionate about even if it's only for you yes. even if it's not something for consumption outside of your own if you can tune into that part of your brain where you're like oh no this is true for me like mm-hmm. this is this is something that is inherently risky structurally like i'm not going to make money off of this i'm not going to get anything from this outside of just recognizing and being honest with yourself like oh yeah no i actually love this i actually love this 
for myself yeah. and showing and showing up for whatever following, whatever circumstances are born out of that. You know, like I went to college to meet the guys who would be in my band, you know, like right, right. just follow, follow that weird little, keep pulling that thread and the, the circumstances will start swirling around you. And if you've done the heavy lift, which is recognizing the seed of that you're passionate about, recognizing that in yourself and saying yes to it, then you're more likely to not that you have to say yes to everything, but you're more likely to recognize future iterations of that same dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, someone unexpected comes into your life and offers you something, you know, an opportunity or just a relationship that's terrifying and you say yes to it. And, you know, it just kind of, or you can at least recognize it as something worth humoring. Yeah. Whatever these unknown opportunities come your way through, you know, born out of chasing your, chasing your dragon, (laughs) chasing your sweet spot. Um, (laughs) Chasing your dragon, your sweet spot and everybody else's sweet spots. Spoken like a true idiot musician. (laughs) What was the question? (laughs) But that's good. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything selfish about that at all. Because, you know, I've talked about this with a lot of people that, you know, when it comes down to it, we really do. Number one has to be number one. Yeah. And to an extent. And once you do find that thing that brings you that level of joy, fulfillment, etc. And in, and in this case, like bonus for everybody else that it brings that to, obviously, right. but bringing it back to a lot of what we were kind of saying in the first half of, you know, you, you aren't going to be able to, and this is semi cliche, but you aren't going to be able to deliver all that much to other people in your relationships with them. If you are not that full person who is, has that level of fulfillment and level of joy, et cetera, then you are just bringing squat to. Yeah everybody else well and you're absolutely right and you know it it just reminded me of um to bring it back to fatherhood you know when i said to my dad he knew i was in a band when i was in college but I, i was going to graduate college and get a job and when i said to him like hey we got signed to this like indie label but we have to try and tour can i take a semester off and just go try and do this. He he was raised in a time, or just forget the time, just his relationship with and his his upbringing. Uh, you couldn't really do that. Like that was too risky. Mm-hmm. And not to mention he was paying for my education. You know, so it's like, right. Right. I don't think he was. I think he was glad that I was doing something I was excited about, but I think he was really scared and not willing to let that be the next step, which is I turn off everything that had been turned on structurally and just go for this thing. And, you know, it's pretty amazing because his brother, my uncle Dennis, he actually, he actually, he left New Jersey in high school and moved to California and did become a photographer. Hmm. He was, he, he got, got the hell out of Dodge and went off and became a crazy person in California. And my dad was, he was the the straight guy, the straight guy in the in the pair uh, out of the pair, right? And you know, but my uncle, like you know, became like a pretty famous rock photographer, really? and now he's he's um, 
he's the the chair, the dean of photography at a at a college out there, and really wow. realized a lot of scary stuff. He really realized a lot of his scary dreams mm-hmm. that could have totally not worked and probably were not working for a long time. Um, and they, my dad had to have a conversation with him and said, Hey, listen, like my son's band is, they got signed. Like he wants to drop out of school and go do this. Like, I don't think you should do it mm-hmm. or should, should I let him do this? And you know, his brother, my uncle said, you have to, <laughs> mm-hmm. you have to let him do it. Like for a whole bunch of really important reasons the least of which, least important of which is if you say no and they go anyway and he's not included and it becomes a success. <laughs> right. You'll you never shred it up as lottery ticket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was, it's, it's, I have a lot of, uh, even at the time I had a lot of, em- I don't know if it was empathy or sympathy or I mean, it wasn't empathy, but I understood why it was so scary mm-hmm. for my, for my dad. And, I understood how profound of a decision that was for him to make the profound bit of permission that he gave me to go do it. And, you know, when I was six months later, like I said, driving through Oregon in the middle of the night and the sun's coming up and I hadn't eaten for 48 hours, Mm -hmm. that conversation and the thoughts of like my uncle talking to him and what his life had been like chasing his art, I thought we're, we're driving back across country home in a few days. If this is the only thing I glean out of this experience, then I, I know what I'm telling my kid. Like, right. Yeah, yeah. Take a risk, man. Like, especially now you're in college, you're in your fourth year. You want to go piss off for a month or a month or a year or whatever it is doing something that may lead to nothing, but it's something that you love. Like, absolutely. You have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> If just for the experience. Yeah. I guess it's like fully acceptable for people to take a year off now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now it's totally different. Like now that it's almost that built in travel year into, I I don't know if I should say society, but into the college experience. Like that's kind of almost an expected situation. Right. Yeah. Go, go be weird. Yeah, exactly. And try and find some non-fatal danger to build your character. And, (laughs) you know, I, I didn't, like I said, I was doing, I was on a track in college that I I hated and was going to end up in a position where I was divorced from myself and stuck in a, and on a track that, you know, the longer you're on a, on a track that you're, that you hate and you're stuck, the more the conditions around your life keep you stuck. And if, if you're if you're stuck in a job that you hate and you haven't had the time or had a, an epiphany and found out what you love, then you're just stuck. Then you're ultimately you're totally screwed. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's something that potentially, I mean, depending on the person, obviously, but could haunt you for years. Yeah. Yeah. And then you become, I don't know, maybe Tiger Woods dad or. Um, (laughs) the Williams sister's dad. And then you're pushing your kids even harder to do all these things that you wished you'd done or, you know, didn't have the ability to do and you feel like they need to do it. And I don't know, that's a whole nother ball of wax. You become an awful parent. (laughs) You teach your kid to honor being terrified and like, you know, following the rules is great to an extent. (laughs) 
in so far as uh, it's juxtaposed with your ability to, in an exciting fashion, break some roles and like play life jazz a little bit. <laughs> yeah, life, you have to play life jazz. Wow, that's I can't I can't take credit for that. That's that's oh. Tom Cruise, Vanilla Sky. Oh, play jazz, <laughs> make it up as you go along. We'll just pretend that you made that up. Technically, I think it's a bad movie, but I enjoy it. Um, <laughs> no one else I know is saying that. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm the only person I know who says it. <laughs> or the only person who's seen that film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just play jazz, man. And of course, I assume people know what I'm talking about. They just look at me like, what? Yeah. The dumbest thing I've ever heard. I don't even like jazz. Yeah, I'm supposed to go listen to Miles Davis because yeah. how does that fit? <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. I think it's okay to start with feline anal gland expression oh, yeah. and and end up on uh, Tom Cruise and Miles Davis. I Vanilla think Sky, yeah, yeah. That's I follow that logic. We basically <laughs> just bookended with anal gland expression: one from a cat, one from Tom Cruise. <laughs> hey, it's all expression, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Freedom of expression, whether it's anal glands or art in film. Yeah, don't be scared. Say yes. <laughs> Have kids. It's an adventure. Learn from every experience. <laughs> and uh, don't don't sleepwalk if you can avoid it. Keep your laptop in a room other than your kitchen. Mm -hmm. Tons of little life lessons. So when are you guys going on the road again soon? Yeah. Uh, next year we have um, plans for Australia. Ooh. What? One show in Hawaii, which I've never been. Yeah, I saw you guys are playing Hawaii. That's really cool. Yeah. Especially because not many... I talked about this with the manager of Umphreys McGee and talked about how it's just not a concert spot. Right. You don't really see many bands going over there. So I was excited for you guys for that. And all the more so now that I know you have never been over there. That's going to be great. Yeah, for 15 years, I'm like, why does no one play Hawaii? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. I don't know how it's going to go, but being there alone will be fun. And you were asking about influences. It's kind of surreal. The The band that we're on tour with in Australia, technically, I guess it's billed as like a co-headline. Mm -hmm. uh, this band, Quicksand, is one of the bands that I grew up listening to. Oh, cool. As, they, they were like heroes, heroes, heroes of ours. And to be honest, like kind of helped draft the blueprint for what we wanted to do. And they, of course, broke up right as we, I actually think right before we became an active band. And so being in a position now, after we've broken up, <laughs> I, I thought playing with them was a ship that, uh, had sailed even before we started, and now we, we get to go travel with those guys. Oh, that's it's, awesome! There's still there's still some hero worship. We ended up becoming buds with uh, Walter, who was a flagship member of many New York hardcore bands, and then Quicksand in the post hardcore era. We toured with one of his other bands throughout the years called Rival Schools, and but to get to play club shows with with quicksand in its, in its original state is, uh, I don't know. Quite the treat for you guys. That's cool. Yes. It's very bizarre. Again, I, I never, I still never feel like, yeah, I earned this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, wait, mm -hmm. we're doing what? <laughs> wow. <laughs> but that's great that you experience it in that way too, though. Yeah. Humility is good. It's a lot of wonderment, <laughs> a lot of wonderment and a lot of, I'm going over here now. Okay. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, 
again, thank you so much for taking the time out on this. Oh, I'm I'm way off on my days. I was going to just make a horrible dad joke and say on, appropriately on this Thursday. Ah, see, that's why I said no to the Thursday interview. <laughs> oh, that's smart of you. You got out of that. Yeah. Well, you know, thankfully, with a name as as commonplace as Thursday, there really is only one joke that anyone has been able to tell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I do appreciate you taking the time out and divulging all of these family stories and hitting on all of these important topics. And I think... Again, like I know we did talk about how some stuff can kind of be selfish, but I did glean a lot of this information for my own personal brain place as well on stuff. I was saying to somebody recently, like, I love having this podcast because I do I do take away a lot of this stuff in my conversations with these dads and feel like it helps make me think of ways to be a better person, to be a better dad, to be a better husband and so I guess the proof will be in the pudding in the years to come as if I actually did that or not. But yeah, uh. yeah no, I mean, honestly, like recorded or not, I wish I could have a conversation like this every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my friends who uh, my closest friends who have kids, the guys in my band. So when we're not playing together, we're like, oh, I'll, I'll see you later. We're not going to talk about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. And, and I've talked about that with a lot of guys, too. Like we... As men, it's it's kind of that generalization against us of how bad we are as communicators. And <laughs> that is a big part of why I really wanted to create this as opposed to my original iteration of it as just a blog to get that conversation going, to have this be something that taps into more than just my local group, my group of friends and spread that out. And that's you know, what, one of the big things that I take away from it as well. So thanks for being a part of that. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's, it, it's, it's my pleasure. It's really, really great concept for a podcast. And, you know, I've listened to some episodes and it's, it's all really good information. And I don't know, it's, I think it's important for, <laughs> for people who are doing this kind of thing to, to get in cahoots and yeah pull, pull their, their cognitive resources as often as possible. Because, yeah. you know, it does, you know, to borrow another cliche, it does take a village. I found I don't. It does. I don't come close to knowing everything, um, and so I, I, I lean on on my knowledgeable, experienced friends yeah. <laughs> for for guidance. So, so thank you for sharing uh, sharing your your stories as well. Of course, of course. Thank you. Right, and that is the end, the grand finale of my conversation with Tom Keeley, guitarist of the band Thursday. I hope you all enjoyed that. Again, you can find Tom on Twitter as at Tom Thurs. You can find the band Thursday on Twitter as Thursday Band. You can find their website and their tour dates coming up here early in March at Thursday.net. And again, thank you so much to Tom for spending all that time with me. It was really cool. And I actually can't wait to uh, meet up with him again in April when they are local here in Southern California on tour. This podcast is in the loop. The Legion of Osiris podcasts. I really should read it like this. The Legion of Osiris podcasts. 
What does that mean? Osiris is a place where you can discover great music and culture podcasts. And if you like this one, go check out OsirisPod.com and get in the loop. Osiris partners with Relics Magazine. So check out Relics.com for music news. So you can find Daddy Unscripted on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, all as Daddy Unscripted. You can find the website uh, where I will have some additional pictures that Tom supplied me with as well to go along with these two episodes at daddyunscripted.com. My email is daddyunscripted at gmail.com. That's where you can send me more of these ideas on guests for the show. And I talked about this at the end of the first episode. We're going to do a little giveaway. So you guys are going to be able to win some kind of Thursday merchandise. I will kind of let that be known over social media, whether it's music or uh, an article of clothing or not, not something personal of Tom's, of course, but something by the band. All you need to do to get in on this giveaway is post a review on iTunes for the Daddy Unscripted podcast. And then you can take a screenshot of that. You can send me something through that Gmail address. Just let me know that you left a review and you can let me know what your username is so I know to enter you into the drawing for the giveaway. I always love doing these little giveaways that kind of support my guests in a way too. So make sure you get in those reviews and we'll get something cool out to one of you. I know this episode has to do with Thursday Band, but it is my absolute duty and pleasure to thank Umphreys McGee for their help with the music on my podcast. You can check that out on Umphreys.com. They are on tour again right now, coming to Southern California in March. I'm very excited in support of their new album, It's Not Us. And the tour has just been fantastic so far. So make sure you check out umfreeze.com, see when they are playing near you, and go check them out. Thanks for listening, you guys. And we'll talk again. Well, I will talk, and you will listen again soon, right? I guess so. Mm-hmm.